2016, Anna Delvey went looking for a $25 million loan to open an art club in New York, a high-class art club that served high-class drinks, catering to social elites. So Anna sent an email to a Silicon Valley publicist she knew. Quote, if you think this is something you could help us with and have anyone in mind who would be a good culture fit for this project, I want to stress that phrase for a moment. A good cultural fit. Because it's important to note, Anna Delvey had a lot of high culture friends in her pocket. As a wealthy German Harris, Anna had partied with Macaulay Culkin and listened to exclusive rap albums with Barmo Bro, Martin Screlly. When Anna went looking for potential club locations, she reached out to Joel Cohen, the man who prosecuted the Wolf of Wall Street himself. And Joel Cohen got Anna signed on as a client of his real estate firm. When Cohen's firm filled out the intake form to bring Anna in as a client, they skipped the check boxes that confirmed Anna had money. The boxes stated she was flush and she wouldn't embarrass the firm. That's how high class Anna was. And once the firm took on Anna and her art club, she was given access to even bigger lenders like City National Bank and Fortress Investment Group. That's what a being upper class did for Anna. Like a credit card you receive in the mail, Anna was pre-approved culturally because she has the right friends. She moved in the right circles. She treated money like it was an afterthought. She handed $100 bills to concierges Uber drivers, and bellhops. Which is why, when Anna forgot to pay back a few thousand bucks for a private plane trip or an expensive meal, it was easy for her high-class friends to forgive her. Because, of course, Anna was wealthy. Which is funny, because Anna was never wealthy. And her high-class act was exactly that, an act. Despite acting like a flighty pampered 25-year-old socialite, Anna was always keenly aware of the gap between her and her rich friends. Rich friends who would have never called Anna a good cultural fit if they knew her real identity. Anna Delvey, under her luxury Ceylon sunglasses and Alexander Wang leggings, was really Anna Sorokin, a penniless daughter of a Russian trucker and Anna Sorokin almost got her $25 million art club. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then, we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, the extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no-duh on the internet and get us to the juicy facts. In America, we can't help but convolute class and wealth. We mix the two up. We use class and wealth interchangeably because most of us think that when we finally have enough money, It'll mean we have class. 
But consider this. The social elites who hung around Anna would never hang out with, say, a plumber who also happened to be worth $70 million, which was Martin Shkreli's net worth before his conviction. In America, class virtually goes unnoticed until it prevents you from getting something, until you're denied an apartment or rejected for a job or turned away from the college of your choice. Do you remember Anna's phrasing when she was looking for her loan? She didn't say she was looking for $25 million. She said she was looking for a good cultural fit. Well, if you're wondering if classism exists in America, ask yourself, how often have you heard the terms workplace culture or good social fit after a job interview? So today, we're busting those myths about the American class system. Myths like, myth one, class isn't really important, right? I mean, as long as I have food and health coverage, who cares which side of the plate my fork goes on? Myth two, how much money or education does it take to become upper class? Are celebrities upper class? Are athletes, country singers? How do we even identify the upper class? Myth three, okay, so you might need to pretend to be upper class to ace a job interview or a college interview, but can you fake being upper class for 10 minutes? How hard could it be? But before we get to our myths, Joe and I are going to talk about how Anna started her glorious con job with the upper class with a few well-placed $100 bills. Well, Anna's calling card was $100 bills, and she would go around and tip everybody that even looked at her $100. So you don't do that? (laughs) Now, the reason she did this was so when she was seen with more important people, everybody around her would perk up because they know a Hunskies is coming. Right. So, and she got special treatments because she overtipped every server, everybody at every service position that she went. I imagine, too, having servers recognize her as that and treat her as that in front of her more important friends would convey wealth as well. Just all that energy of someone important here. Everyone's eyes go to her. Now, I want to start out her con start in the right location. She was in the Soho district of Manhattan, staying in a five-star hotel room. Now, this is going to be a better con in Manhattan than it would be in, let's say, Boise, Idaho. Right. It, it takes longer to start a con if you're you know, in the middle of nowhere. Absolutely. And she used everything she had. She was like an actress. She was 25 years old. She wasn't what you would call attractive. She was average looking, um, average weight and personality. But she had this European accent. She dressed right. She was surrounded by all the right people. It was just image, image, image. Okay. Now, what struck me as amazing about this whole thing, Joe, is that um, it didn't take decades for her to do this. She did this all in a couple of years. So she got in high class in New York City in a very tough room to work where there's lots of trust fund kids, lots of millionaires, lots of celebrities, even billionaires. She did it almost overnight. So the the $100 bills, the clothes, the social media, that all seems very surface to me. But, but that worked faster for her? 
it did. Now, one of the big things she did was she went to work as an intern at a, at a magazine called Purple. And so she quickly became friends with editor-in-chief Oliver Zam and got in. She was shoulder for shoulder to him to all the parties, all the right parties, and got seen and got, um, I guess we saw good advertising right out of the, right out of the jump. I imagine too, um, getting tapped into the cultural zeitgeist like that, like like that's almost like um, a, a hack or an inroad to know the mind of the upper class. At the right parties, at the right tables, wearing the right clothes, she also had a huge social media presence as this German billionaire princess. Okay, laying the groundwork. It. it this is our start. This is our. If she's not a superhero, she's a she's a con woman. But if we're looking at this like almost like a superhero's inception or, or their their origin story, hers is purple. Hers is this this party. That, that's the birth. Okay, got it. You start with one high class friend, and then you grow out from there. Okay. Can I ask a quick question? After reading this, not not spoiling too much. Are you, are you on Anna's side or are you against what Anna did? <laughs> you know, it's hard to feel too bad for billionaires. <laughs> <laughs> you know, trust fund kids who lose all of their... I'm going to go into that later. Okay, yeah. It's hard to... Yeah, I don't feel bad for rich people. Okay. I, you? I think you and I are probably on the same side <laughs> on this one, so... Well, do you want to talk a little bit about um, uh, class and wealth? Teach me. I'm ready. Okay, so um, we we started off this episode by saying that the two get used interchangeably, and that it's kind of tricky to to see the difference. Now we're podcasting in a post COVID world, um, so recently we have started really seeing class. Um, before it was mostly invisible, I think at least in America we we. Uh, imagine being in a classroom uh, and like a teacher points out one of the kids and says, Jeremy there makes $120,000 a year. His family does. Whereas, you know, Tiffany makes 40000 That teacher would be lynched. Like they'd be taken out back and executed. There's no way they could get away with that. Um, but but we, we generally don't talk about class in America because it's not only taboo, it goes against sort of our roots like, like, like uh, as Americans, I don't know how you feel about this, but bootstrapping, the, the idea that everyone is a temporarily embarrassed millionaire or, or that, that, you know, we, we all have it in us to be wealthy. We just need to try a little harder. Um, we, we hold that up instead of class. Yeah, we see people with more money than us. They worked harder than us. Yeah, that's what I've always believed, right up until these articles, <laughs> until this episode. I was like, well, they just, they put in their time, and I need to as well. I can't speak for you, but after research, I always thought I was middle class, and now I feel a little bit more like lower class. <laughs> yeah, once we get to um, uh, our, our third or second section, we're going to identify class markers to to sort yourself. If you're listening to this... We're going to do like that Harry Potter website where we sort you into a house, except it's going to be more depressing. <laughs> it's going to be, we're going to sort you into a class, and you're not going to like us for that. So first off, um, most Americans are in the lower class. I'll start with that to make Todd and I feel a little bit better. 75% um, of Americans have less than $100,000 saved, uh, which is why uh, most Americans are able to retire by 66 
with so little wealth simply because of social security. Um, so traditional pensions and retirement plans are kind of going away. Um, uh, Limmer reports that 41% of retirees have an annual income of less than $25,000. So if, if during our episode you feel a little bit bad, like you're, oh no, I might be lower class or I might not be as middle as I thought I was, um, don't feel bad. You are not alone. This is... At the grocery store, 75 people out of 100 are there with you. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. The rest of them are shopping at uh, Whole Foods. <laughs> um, so why class matters? Why we're doing this episode? Um, I really didn't think this was going to be an episode. I thought it was going to be a, a few notes Todd and I cover uh, when we talk about wealth at some point. Um, but then I started looking at interviews. Interviews are really like the the bottleneck of life. They they determine how well you you do financially and where you live, which are, those are huge. I mean, those those determine your life. So I had a quick question for Todd. We're sitting here uh, in in your office, which is basically our uh, a studio. Like we've got foam on the walls and we've got you know new equipment, and it's all very nice. Um, but I want to know. Uh, if you're willing to to uh, divulge this information, um, did you have was there an interview process to get in here? This was a mortgage, so yeah, there was with the mortgage company. Okay, uh, and did they check little boxes like Anna saying you're you're good for it, you're not going to embarrass us? They did, but they verified everything with pay stubs and bank accounts, and so no, I didn't just get a clean. I had to show proof of everything that we had. Okay. Uh, during the interview process, did you have to meet with someone face-to-face? It was all on the phone, but that was because of COVID. Right, right. So they normally would have met with you. Exactly. That's, that's weird, don't you think? Like, as long yeah. as your finances are in order, should you have to talk to someone? You would think, right? It's all about dollars and cents. It's about your Social Security number and the, and the, and the, and the risk. Right, but they, they, they want to hear a voice, and that's, that's where most interviews go. That's, that's our big takeaway. In a nutshell, what we're going to be getting at today at this episode is um, it should only be about how much money you have and how qualified you are for whatever job or house or any interview you're doing, school interviews, college interviews. It should only ever be about what's on paper if we're in a meritocracy, but what ends up happening is almost all interviews end up like Anna, where somebody wants to speak to you, and like Anna said, they want to make sure you're of the same proper class and fit. And that's kind of problematic. Um, there's language differences in class, too. Uh, this is something we're going to get into big later on, but just real quick as an example. Um, I had a friend who was obsessed with class, like he's been studying it for years. And he noticed, um, uh, by the way, to, to spoil a little bit about myself, I am from a lower class. Uh, after you, you mentioned after reading uh, this that you, you felt like you might be from a lower class. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got, is, do you have any um, uh, big indicators in your mind? Like anything stuck out in particular? Savings, lack of, <laughs> living paycheck to paycheck. And then I start realizing that when I start going down the family tree of, you know, if I really am honest about what my other families had, they weren't that successful either. Right. Yeah. I think money is usually um, one of the first indicators followed quickly by education. 
Um, but, but there are little giveaways uh, linguistically. For example, my, my, my best example of this is I was at McDonald's and my friend heard me order and he, he said that I use the phrase can I get or can I have when I'm ordering and then he's like why do you do that and I notice that when he orders he says I'll take a number one number five whatever he's ordering um, more authoritative right I remember reading an economist article that said um, uh, it's the difference between saying uh, thanks when somebody gives you something and saying thank you so much so it, 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 a lot of it comes down to how much effort you put into language. It's micro stuff. It is. We're going to get into some of that. It, it's, it gets very granular, very small. Um, so uh, to, to illustrate why this is so important, uh, I'm going to hearken to a Yale study that came out in 2019. Uh, and they talked about how um, it's all speech pattern. Y- your first big identifier uh, for your class Uh, when you get hired, is uh, your speech. And so I'm going to quote the article here. Uh, Devoid of any information about the candidate's actual qualifications, the hiring managers judge the candidates from higher social classes as more likely to be competent for the job and a better fit for it than the applicants from lower social classes. Moreover, they assign the applicants from higher social classes more lucrative salaries and signing bonuses than the candidates from lower social classes. Now, I have a story about this. I have noticed that some of the really successful, super successful um, business owners that I know always say during interviews that they care less about resumes and they want to sit down and look at and meet the person. Absolutely. And, And they won't hold the resume up and ask them about all their previous jobs. They'll ask them questions about their life. Yes. Um, when we talk about about interviews and people below an interview, almost always the, the boss or, or the, the person doing the interview, if they're not aware of this, they'll throw around phrases like they weren't a good cultural fit. They will literally use the word cultural in their sentence to describe why they didn't hire someone. And, and when they when they have to reject somebody and it's not the resume that did it. Um, do you, uh, do you remember uh, Affluenza Kid? No. Okay. There was a there was a kid who got in the news. Oh, um, I do remember this kid. Yeah. Ro- spoiled rotten. Th- this is uh, um w- when we talk about how how class changes the way you think and that you know you don't know what class you're in until you get struck with a cultural difference. Um, this was the kid, uh, Ethan Couch. Uh, he was nicknamed Affluenza Kid in the news um, because he killed four people drunk driving at 16, and he, he paralyzed his passenger. And his defense plea uh, that a f- his defense plea from his defense attorney was that affluence had blinded him morally, so he didn't know the difference between right and wrong because he was too high, from too high of a class. That it wasn't the wealth. It was the class itself that did it. That the rules, the laws don't pertain to him because he's never gone without. He's never been punished. He's never been told no. So he has no yeah, meter so, for a way to measure what's right or wrong. He can do whatever, whatever he wants when he wants as much as he wants. Right. And he got, uh, the judge gave him 10 years of probation for murdering four people, basically. Not a not an hour in jail. Yeah. 
Um, that changed. Uh, I want to share with you a little bit of good news. Um, he actually went to jail uh, when someone posted a video of him drinking again while on probation. So he's, he's literally murdered four people and crippled another person. And then they find him drinking again at another party. Somebody takes a video of him. And then his mother tried to uh, flee with him to Mexico to evade. That. Yeah. And let me uh, just say, he wasn't even one bit apologetic for any of this. Not at all. He, he was a real jerk and was like, he was being inconvenienced. Yeah. We, we talked uh, during our villainy episode that um, uh, wealth insulates you and it, it calluses you purposefully. Like you, you, as a human, you can't really get that wealthy without callousing yourself somewhat at least so you can tell people no. Um, well, this is the extreme version of that. So I want to warn the listeners, we're not hit beating on, on rich people. Uh, we're not saying that affluence or class makes you this callous. This is just the biggest extreme in this direction I want to bring up first. Uh, by the way, he's out of jail now. He, um, After his probation break and fleeing the country, um, he was in jail until 2018, and he got out at 20. So, um, And he still showed basically zero remorse for the crime even after that. Um, now, now, the less extreme version of this, uh, the, the, another indicator of class, um, Malcolm Gladwell points out how affluent people are trained by their parents to ask more questions. Um, that when they, they people followed uh, um, people of affluence and people without money to the doctors, and they watch parents train their kids to, to question the doctors and to be curious about their own health and their own diagnosis and be part of the process. To challenge everything. Yes. Um, so when we talk class, high class, we don't just mean they get away with anything. That's like the that that's the poor man looking up at the rich man saying they get away with everything. What we're really talking about is being willing to challenge authority and, and being willing to ask questions. So if you're at an interview and and you're from a lower class, you don't ask a lot of questions. No, you're just happy that you're being interviewed and you pray you get the job. You just want to be polite and you certainly don't want to offend anything or say anything that will get you kicked out the door. Right. No challenging language. You just, yeah, exactly right. So that's our first real uh, takeaway is um, if you're from a higher class, you challenge people in a friendly way, in a polite way oftentimes, um, but that's what you do. You're trained to do it. Now, I want to share with you, um, I think this is the part where Todd and I, uh, uh, we, our shoulders sink down and we feel slightly worse about ourselves. We're going to talk about the actual tiers of classism. Um, so some countries, uh, and it depends on how far back in history you go, have had uh, caste systems, or, or uh, which is a little bit different than class, um, but it, it basically means that you are hard separated into groups. Um, because America's class system is a little less visible, uh, I'm going to pull from an article by Slate Star Codex. Um, they they have a, a, a it's a very fun article. Uh, it's called um, "Staying Classy." Uh, it came out in 2016. W when I say fun, it's not scientific. It's not like um, gruelingly in depth. It, it's more just sort of like a primer for understanding class, and it's written tongue in cheek. It is really fun. Um, but here's what they identify, and I, I find this to be fairly accurate to my own uh, study and experience. Um, they, they list four classes. 
uh, at the lowest, you have the generationally poor. So these are like like parts of Appalachia and parts of America where um, uh, no, people no have... No shoes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, generationally poor means that they have not held jobs for several generations. Um, and they, they get by um, either by uh, government assistance or by being in the system or by some other means. Like they're, they're uh, kept by the system. Um, and that's about 10% of people, according to Slate Star Codex. And I, I, I kind of agree with them. They base their numbers on like a couple of national polls. So I think that's not too far off. Uh, then we get into the labor class. I thought I was middle class until I started reading all this, and now I'm pretty certain I'm firmly in the labor class. <laughs> the, the bad news, there is no middle class. Yeah, that's something else we're going to run into in this uh, in this uh, episode is, is the middle class is effectively gone. Um, the labor class makes up about 65% of the population, and that was four years ago. It's even higher now. Um, and that's... Those are just people who, um, you said paycheck to paycheck. That's a good way of looking at it. Even if you're not just paycheck to paycheck, even if you have a, a, a good amount of money, like even if you're wealthy, uh, we you talked about um, would these uh, high class people hang out with a very wealthy plumber? Like just say, like, like literally just a, a normal dude drinks beer on the weekends, watches baseball, like an everyday guy that you and I would hang out with. Would somebody like Martin Screlly or these these bankers, would they hang out with a plumber who is worth ungodly amounts of money, say $70 million? I'm guessing no. I'm, I'm just thinking uh, they wouldn't connect, like socially, they, they wouldn't be able to talk. They uh, wouldn't introduce their daughter to them to be married. Yes. They might hang out with them at a party and be nice, but they wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. They wouldn't want to bring them into the fold into the elite. That's another that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, would you would you have your would you let your daughter date this person? That's a good metric. Um above the labor class, uh we're we're skipping you, you'll note we're skipping the middle because it's not really even listed anymore. Uh you get to the gentry. And the gentry is effectively uh, people who can survive off of their education and their family's wealth. Uh, these are people who um, have enough uh, property investment and enough invested generally to where they don't have to worry so much about money. Um, they are the upper middle to, to higher class. And, and they are they're the folks where they don't have to worry if they get fired next month. I think that that might be a better way of putting it. They have vacation houses. I know people like this. Yeah. They don't cash your paychecks all the time before the direct deposit was around. <laughs> yeah. They get to it when they get to it. They don't run to Wells Fargo when they get paid. Yeah. Uh, they've, they've never stepped into a payday loan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then above them uh, is the elite class. That's um, the, the, the gentry is about 23% of the population. The elite is about one5 now on that point, so we say the upper two percent. The upper two percent is getting even smaller by this. It is. Uh, some websites just stick with two percent. Some say that it's actually closer to one point five. Um, if you're looking at, um, uh, like, if they say that like seventy percent of the stock market is owned by these percent, like like two percent, three percent of people. 
So it, it varies. Uh, Slate Star here says it's about 1.5. So it's it's in that it's it's a margin of a couple of percent. Um, but the 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 number one job of the elite is to stay invisible. I want to bring that up pretty much immediately because when I say elite, most people when they look on the television they think they can identify the elite uh, among us, the wealthy elite. They will point to celebrities or they will point to uh, businessmen or super wealthy investors, uh, Jeff Bezos. Um, that's visible elite. That is not representative of the actual elite. So hypothetically, we're not going to do this because it would be gruesome and violent. Uh, if we started a French revolution, you and me, and I handed you a guillotine and I said, go get me an elite... Uh, can you name someone aside from Jeff Bezos? Like, like if if I, <laughs> all I can think about is like the people who put their name on car dealerships, right? <laughs> right. They might even just be labor class. Like, like <laughs> if we're going down to like Bob Lanfears down the yeah, down the road, exactly. they might not even be in gentry class. They might have the money for it, but they might not be in the upper class. Even I got my own kill list of people that have done me wrong. <laughs> well, during during the French Revolution, I think there was probably plenty of people who were out for revenge and not so much, you know, destroying the upper class. Um, but but generally speaking, uh, when we when we see on Twitter people getting mad uh, at rich people who are on their yacht during COVID, that they're they're sheltering in like you know mansions or they're they're off on their own private islands, we're not even talking about those as elite. Like when we talk elite, we're saying people who have so much wealth they don't have to have a public face, that they just sort of quietly invest their money and they they live off of that and they they pursue their own uh, life's agenda, and that's really the gift of being elite. By the way, is it's really just invisibility and pulling strings, being able to influence a lot. Um, and your kids and your grandkids don't ever worry about what the rent, the mortgage, the tuition. They will never make car payments. They'll never pay interest on credit cards. They literally don't have to get in the rat race of credit borrowing. Right. And when you reach that high of a class status, not only do you become invisible uh, to the lower classes, your only job in life, the, the, the thing that you now have to focus on is you get educated, of course, at the highest level college as possible, but your job is to retain wealth. Everyone else, all the other three classes, your job in life is to gain wealth. As a elite class, yours is to retain it and try to continue making it for your family. Um, so your, your, your life's trajectory, your goals, they change as a human being. Like, you're no longer hunting as a human you are now just retaining slam on the brakes slam on the brakes hand all this down keep it going keep it going yeah they had a name uh now this name uh, applies to almost um anyone who fled the french revolution uh, uh who did not want to you know die by guillotine um but the wealthy elite fell into this too they were called uh, emigre and they were the people who um, ran out of the government, went to foreign powers, sought help elsewhere. Um, but during the French Revolution, it was not the hyper-wealthy elites that died to the guillotine. 
They were the public faces that died. They were the upper class, not the elite class. So the elite class just fed them here, say, take your frustrations out on these people. Yeah. They were truly invisible and safe. Yep. The ones that died were bureaucrats, politicians, and famously wealthy people. They were our Trumps. They weren't the truly elite who made all the money. They left and they started other wars. They oftentimes tried to come back and retake France. So what we're saying here is that um, if, if this podcast makes you upset slightly at the upper class uh, and you decide to start sharpening a guillotine, good luck finding the elite class is what we're saying. So speaking of uh, the elite classes and the, the upper class, the gentry, which of these, like, like who did Anna target? Who, who'd she make friends with? She targeted the arts. And she wanted to have her own art studio or her own art museum. So her friend introduced her to Michael Hung. And he was a very young, handsome, dapper. Um, and he was a founder of his own museum at a very young age. So she convinced him to go to Venice with her to an art show. And she shorted him on the fair, so she went there. <laughs> so there was a lot of signs that she was up to no good, but he really didn't think much of it. Um, and I thought this was funny. I'm doing the research on it. He said, when people are super rich, they forget about five, $6,000 like that. <laughs> like you and I, if we loan someone five or $6,000, we would be hunting them. Right. But I guess when you're dealing with trust from people who never earned any money, they're like a goldfish. Five seconds later, a couple grand. Who gives a shit? So that's almost literally like like me loaning you five bucks. To them, or even less. If, we, if there was an exchange rate. Yeah. Yeah, because their money is endless. Right. Yeah, so we really can't even figure it out. <laughs> I remember listening to a comedian once that compared, like he, he did the math, and he figured out that uh, he, when he finds a $10 bill in his pocket that he forgot about, uh, the equivalent for Bill Gates would be finding a hundred thousand dollars in a wad in his pocket, like something like that. Oh, okay. He actually did the math, but yeah, I, I remember yeah. thinking that was very fun. I think that's very interesting. Um, so she's buddy buddy with Michael, and then she had a birthday party with him, and she made it very well publicized with him and his friends. So she was seen elbow and elbow with these world class New York Manhattan artists, and this got her a lot of publicity. So everyone in the arts community gave her a lot of clout, you know, raised her status in the group. Okay. Now, so she did the publicity. She had all these artists on board who wanted to be part of this project. Then somehow she found this world-class architect. So she took him and showed her what her idea was on this museum. This is someone that, again, this is not someone you Google. <laughs> this is someone you could only be introduced to. And then she found one of the best food and beverage person in the world. And so they started giving her ideas on how they can put these special boutique restaurants. So this woman was being introduced. She was very, very connected. Wow. Now, the, ver the last thing she did, she had a connection with this publicist in Silicon Valley. And that's how she got a hold of the Joel Cohen. And he took her down, and he was a celebrity. And he introduced her to the two big banks. And that's the one where you have an endless amount of money. So that's where we get to her ask, having, having the guts to ask for $25 million. That's where she gets it. 
and for all these things to line up she's never done this before just she's not right she, she's not a you know a, a meeting planner she doesn't know how to do this stuff i'm nervous applying for like a credit card <laughs> for a store like that's crazy like like taking that journey from hundred like the, the very first part where she's passing out hundred dollar bills confidently and it's her own money at the start of the con that would have made me so nervous she had just believed in herself so if if class isn't strictly money um when you you said you were reading through this what was your first identifier that you were not upper class um that everyone i've ever known has to continually work to keep the things they have and that's my whole family line okay i i think that's a very fair indicator um, yeah, yeah, it, it's the idea that your parents and your parents' parents, if they miss a paycheck, it's over. Right. Or, or, you know, if they miss two paychecks or whatever. And there's no inheritances. It's kind of like the 20 grand. Like, maybe my grandparents had 100 grand. Well, that runs out pretty fast when you don't have an income and you're on Social Security and you end up selling your house and then it goes to the old people's home and right. it's all gone. <laughs> yeah, with my family, there's no inheriting it's uh, when you're like 18 or 16, everyone throws you a party and your relatives give you money. And then that's supposed to help you jump into the next part of your life, which is schooling. And that's not enough for... Like, it's, yeah, it's like yeah. throwing grapes at, a gr grapes at a gorilla. It's not enough. Yeah, it's exactly. It's enough to pay for your books for one year at community college. Yeah, and, and that's pretty much what happened. Um, so, so class is not... It's not money, but it is a huge indicator not having enough money is the first step of being lower class. Having a lot of money is the first step of getting your family to an upper class, too. Um, we talked about the, the joke we made is, would Martin Scully hang out with a wealthy plumber? The answer is probably no. Um, so we're, we're, we're going to talk about um, how do you identify class? Um, uh, at some point, we have to ask which celebrities are classy. And we don't mean like the, the, that's a compliment when you say somebody's classy. I don't mean that like they are like, you know, uh, cool or, or um, they have a lot of uh, personality or, or classy personality. We mean strictly are they in the gentry or higher class. There is uh, something called an upward mobility map. And if you have time, um, there's one of these on Business Insider. But the, it's also its own project. And it's an independent project run, I think it's nonprofit. Um, but people started building these based on taxes. And what an upward mobility map for the U.S. is, it uh, takes everyone's tax brackets and it gauges uh, who has moved from the lowest tax bracket to the highest in their life. So we talk about Americans being bootstrappers, that everyone should be able to become a millionaire in their lifetime, and that it just takes hard work. So this is the percentage of people that actually did that, who went from the lowest to the highest by, by basically hard work and luck. The mobility rate for uh, taxes, the, the lowest to highest, is different in each uh, city. Um, and the sad part of this is that most of the cities in America, um, th there's a huge difference. Uh, um, your location is, is a major determiner in, in your, your upward mobility. I think here in Oregon, we're something like 8% or 7%. Uh, 
which is not bad. That that's that's pretty good. There are areas of the South and Appalachia uh, that I mentioned that have like lower, like like down to like three percent, and that's basically a third world country. That that's that's so little mobility from the lowest to highest. You might as well live in a country that has a old style caste system that won't let you be mobile upwardly. Um, and a lot of that oftentimes is by design, um, that you have counties that have been run by the same people, so the same politicians, the same wealthy groups for a long time. Um, it's, it's not a, a, a Machiavellian machinations. This isn't done by like political force or by people that are um, designing it this way for malicious purposes. It's simply, if you have a lot of wealth, it's easy to retain that wealth if you're currently dictating um, policy. If you're in a small town in the South, the Anderson family for generations has bought all the real estate. So if you're a renter, you rent from them, and they don't sell. They're not in the business of flipping houses. They buy stuff, and they keep it for generations. That is such a perfect way of encapsulating this. Uh, are you a podcaster? <laughs> no, that that that's we t- we talked about this with um, Killdozer, like yeah, like that. That's exactly the one. I, we have another episode on micro stresses, and there was a family that ran the whole town because they owned all the property. Um, this was a small town in Colorado, and so then they got all all the they had all the government seats too. So they had the money, and then they had the power, and they just kind of pushed everybody around. Right. That uh, perfect. I'm really glad you said that. And and that's a good way to look at this: is um, the the upper class, the gentry and higher. They're not doing it out of malice. They're doing it simply because it's easier to retain wealth if you hold the keys to politics and power in your region. So and they feel like good stewards of the money. They feel like they're doing good service. Oh, absolutely. They're good leaders, and they're the kings and queens, and that's the way it's going to be, and these people need them. Yeah, and they, they, for the most part, they believe they're shepherding their community. So it's it's they can be doing it out of a good heart as well. It just means that they're retaining the money. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, uh, how to identify who is upper class. So get your guillotine. We're going on the road. <laughs> Uh, we are going to look at um, what will uh, identify you as an upper class. Um, so it's three components. And, and this is, um, uh, I had a sociology teacher that used this metric. Uh, I found this online several times doing research for this article. So it seems to be pretty much uh, across the board sort of held up. The three indicators of class are income, education, and occupation. You will, if you're in the lower classes, fall short on one or all three of these. Um, I've also heard it, uh, a sociology teacher I had called it cash, credentials, and culture. And I, I like that personally just because it's, it's very snappy having the three C's. Um, and the quickest indicator of all three of these is language. So if you lack money, you'll speak about money differently. You'll talk differently about restaurants. You'll talk differently about doctors everything you you talk about will be couched in well i don't have the money for that if you lack credentials so you don't have the education you will simply speak with smaller words you you won't reference things you won't reference philosophies and books that you don't know and even beyond that you won't delve into subjects as readily or or with the same sort of uh confidence um some of my less educated friends 
um, they simply won't look things up that they feel like they wouldn't have the depth for, that they wouldn't have the educational background for. They don't have the confidence. Yeah. And then lastly, uh, culture or, or occupation. Um, that one is pretty apparent. A lot of that is shown just with the car you drive or the kind of place you live. But again, it also determines how you speak. Um, if I'm used to hanging out with a bunch of bros at the like at Jiffy Lube, and that's who I hang out with all day because I work there, I'm going to speak much differently than if I'm in an office. I'm going to throw around more curse words, uh, probably. Uh, I will be a little bit more cruder in my language, and I will feel good about it. I'll, I, I honestly think, it, it, as a person, as a human being, I will probably have more fun at Jiffy Lube than if I am <laughs> in an office, uh, uh, you know, doing data entry. Um, so we're cash, credentials, and culture, also known as income, education, and occupation. So, of those three C's, we're going to play a game. Um, so, so we've got our guillotines, and we're going after the upper class. We're going to find them. Uh, so at the start of the episode, we asked our celebrities upper class. So, Todd, do you know who Miley Cyrus is? Yeah. Daughter of Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah, I listen to her music. Country singer. Who doesn't? That is <laughs> pop, actually pop how we country, prep for an yeah. episode, is we listen to Miley Cyrus, and then we start <laughs> the recording. Um, so is she upper or lower class or gentry? I think she's upper class. Okay. High upper class. High upper class. I, I thought that had to be true uh, until I looked up her um, education level. She did not finish high school. Uh, and her father is, I don't believe he is, I, I, I should actually have looked this one up too, but I don't think her family is, uh, comes from Ivy League education. No, he was actually a stripper. So I know that. Oh my God, really? <laughs> yeah. He was one of those Chippendale strippers. That's yeah. so much more fascinating. I should Don't ask that me up. how I know that. I, I was very young. I needed, <laughs> I needed the money. <laughs> right? I was young and I needed the money. Well, Miley Cyrus definitely has the cash and the credentials. She has an entertainer's job, and entertainers generally are gentry class, uh, and she has the cash, but um, would not be considered uh, um, upper or elite class um, simply because she lacks education. Chippendale dancers don't go to Princeton. Not often, no. Um, I, I mean, she would, as a celebrity personality, the upper classes, uh, like Screlly's, are known for hanging out with people that are interesting and cool. So you can get invited to uh, to hang out with the upper class, but you yourself would not be considered upper class among the snobs. So the elite class would hire Miley, uh, Miley Cyrus to play at their kid's birthday party, but they wouldn't introduce her to their son to get married. Precisely. Oh, I, uh, uh, this is going to be a, a very small caveat, but I found so many articles of entertainers being hired by, like, uh, uh, upper class people from, like, Dubai and, like, Africa. Like, the, the, um, I didn't know that was a thing that, that, that singers traveled to play independent, like, shows people Ship put them on. in like lobsters. All the time. <laughs> yeah. So many of them. In fact, it was weirder if they hadn't had that happen. Uh, Katy Perry's plan to some. Oil tie, tie guy, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. This is a, just a, a dude just in a billionaire in his oil Saudi Arabian yeah. <laughs> for him yeah. and his six of his friends. Right, right. Yeah, small independent parties paying singers apparently is a thing that I was grossly unaware of. Um, so, so the next celebrity on our list, uh, Natalie Portman. Do you think she is upper or mid class or, or, or gentry? I'd say upper again. Okay. 
Um, she actually, I believe, would be uh, upper class um, because she came from Harvard and she has uh, good family credentials. And of course, she's very wealthy. Um, so uh, here's the point we're making with this particular uh, section. Um, education means a lot to be in the upper class. Like that is the backbone of the upper class. Education can pull you out of a lower class if you make money with it. Um, I remember uh, a, a, a teacher once told me that colleges do not teach you a trade. They actually teach you culture. Um, or as my roommate put it, um, colleges separate the have from the have nots. And then education sometimes comes on the side with it. I had, a, I had a boss who's really successful. And I remember he's, his father was an, a very successful attorney in Honolulu. And I remember him saying this about his dad. He said, in my family, if you don't have a master's degree, my parents would kill you. I mean, that's, that's just not even – a bachelor's associate's is nothing. Yeah. A master's is just – you got to be a PhD to be in our family. They'll pay for it. <laughs> You're going to – you know. Yeah. They'll pay for it. You'll sit in the class. And if you don't make grade, they'll pay for that too. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go to the sports now. Um, so w with sports figures, they can be upper class. Uh, and again, this isn't financial. We're talking culture. So uh, Connor McGregor. Our, I know this one. You know this one. I'm a huge fight fan. And he's got to be lower class. He, he is, in fact. Now, 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 I would say he's classy. Because he wears suits without shirts underneath uh, <laughs> when he's whiling out uh, um, uh, during his shows. Um, but he, he completed secondary school in Ireland, uh, which ends at around the age 16 to 19, depending on when you test. Um, so, yeah, he is, he is technically, he has the cash. Yeah, he's made like $100 million one night fighting. Right, yeah. So he, he certainly has the cash. He does he's not got, have the culture or credentials. He's got the fame. He's got the jets. Yeah, I went looking specifically for um, the most uh, uh, high-class sports figures possible. And so I'm not going to turn this one into a question just because I wanted to, to share it. There's a guy named uh, uh, Gianluca uh, Viali, a, a soccer player, and he played in the European Cup. And he was, um, he, he was born in an actual castle. He was born in um, uh, Bellagioso. Uh, I'm I'm totally butchering that, but um, he grew up in a castle and he got a, a, um, a an Ivy League degree, and so I was like, man, if you were one of his poor lower class like team members, you'd be I'd be pulling out my hair looking at that guy. Like it would it would stress me being on the same bench with him. Yeah, but he's w one of less than one percent. I I think most good athletes were poor. Yeah. And that's why they're as good as they are because they were hungry for so they're long driven. to give them that fight and, you know, that will to win, to dominate. I completely agree with you. I, I think that's 100% true. And so, like, having 99 players for every one guy born in a damn castle, like, again, I would be stressed sitting next to him. But in the corporate world, I think the pampered higher educated, never had to do worry about money or do chores or go to the grocery store would be a huge advantage. Yeah. We, you we've used you didn't the have term. to be distracted by life. Yeah. Hothouse flower is, is, I think we used that term back in the FDR episode. So uh, country singers. Can country singers be upper class? 
generally speaking. <laughs> I think so. I think yeah. if they had long enough careers and made enough money. Right. We used Miley Cyrus already. She's a country singer, but we were using her more as an actress. Um, one of the ones that I wanted to put in here just because it was so fun was Johnny Cash. Uh, <laughs> so is Johnny Cash upper class or lower class? He's got to be lower class. Man. He's absolutely lower class. <laughs> That's his, their his poor boy there. Brother sawed his own arm off in an accident because they were trying to make money at the local sawmill. So like, yeah, no, they they are they have the money. They they lack the culture and and the education and the way he talks too. You know. Yeah, you can tell. Still love the music though. Can't take that away from us. Um, again, I went looking for. Uh, have you heard of a, a, a country singer, Chris Christofferson? Yes. Um, I had sort of associated him with sort of like an older style country, and and I have sort of like like I've heard a few of his songs. I didn't realize I had heard it until I looked this guy up. Um, but he went to Pomona College. Uh, um, one of the fabled Claremont colleges and the second highest rated college in California. Um, he got a liberal arts degree and he didn't just succeed. He graduated with honors and earned a Rhodes scholarship at Oxford university. And I didn't realize he had also come from like a, a wealthy family. So generally speaking, like, like put Johnny cash next to this guy and, and you see the difference in class very quickly. So we, we do get uh, upper-class uh, country singers as well as low-class. So use this information. Don't judge people, but kind of <laughs> yeah, have it in your mind and then say, am I talking this way? Am I putting that vibe out there? Right. The, the, the real point we're trying to make here is that um, when people think upper-class, they think celebrity or they think fame or they think wealth. Really what you're looking at is uh, culture, class, education, background, money, like – it comes together. The three C's come together and you can be in almost any field in any trade and you can have somebody who is upper class there and you can also have somebody who is lower class there. So you really actually have to take the time to listen to someone speak and that will identify the class for you. Um, I, I kind of have a, a personal theory I want to float to you, Todd. Um, the, there's a lot of tension in America in the last couple of years and a lot of it seems to be aimed toward uh, immigration. It, a lot of it seems to be aimed toward, um, uh, um, I was going to say groups, but it's more like, um, now it's more like regulatory bodies. Like we've, we're attacking the WHO, the, the World Health Administration. We're attacking the CDC. We're going after um, basically any group that tells us we can't do something. I am starting to think, and I'm really, after reading these articles, I'm, I'm convincing myself slowly. This is going to be my, my QAnon. This is going to be my, my insane um, theory mind thing going. Um, I think we're actually having more culture friction. I don't think all these things are really about politics, disease, and immigration. I think it all comes down to class. I think it all comes down to money. Um, one of the things I, I remember somebody on, on Fox News... I briefly watch Fox News every once in a great while just to see what they're saying. And somebody had mentioned, they're like, why do the, why do the, uh, the people in cages get uh, health care? Like they were doing health checkups on them and giving them like free toothbrushes and stuff. And they're like, why do they get that level of care? And I was like, are we really, are, are we ups, 
like, like well, are we jealous? Like, yeah, I know they're I know, <laughs> like they're treating them like um, the pound puppies, you know? Right. Even the Humane Society, they get that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 not to we're I'm not a political person. I I am an independent, meaning I don't side with either party. Yeah, Joe and I are non political. We, we take we watch Fox News, then we watch CNN. Then yeah. we blend it together. <laughs> right. But then we really just have our own opinion on things. Right, yeah. I'm, I'm too uh, out of my mind to actually have somebody else's opinion. I have to make up my own stuff. Um, but but I really do, I'm starting to think that uh, class friction is becoming more of an issue. And that if we're jealous of immigrants in cages because they get toothbrushes and we have to pay for ours, I, I think that's really a money issue. I don't think it's must about... must be nice to get free health care. Right. <laughs> While you're stuck. You're getting fed yeah. like a monkey and throwing stuff at you. Right. Yeah. So I, I think this class stuff, I, our, our big takeaway for this episode is it helps you in interviews and it separates you uh, regionally. But I think it's getting to be more than that. I, I think it's getting to be something that is like it, people are focusing more and more on, especially after COVID. Um, so with Anna's con, I kind of want this story to end where she like pulls one over on the rich and she gets her art club and, and like a movie ending. Um, but I'm starting to get the feeling that might not be the case. So does it start going south for Anna? The wheels start coming off the wagon. I'll tell you why I wasn't cheering for her. I thought about this while we were talking. and It's because she was a total jerk, Joe. Okay. <laughs> she would give people $100 bills and then call them broke bitches. She embarrassed people. She was just acted like a spoiled brat. So that's part of her character, but she yeah. was rude and mean to everybody. Okay. And as one of the trust fund young men said, which just cracked me up, he goes, she's not even hot. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this is what started to go wrong. Okay. She said she, she was staying at these hotels, and what, she, what her con was, she'd give them a credit card information. And being that who she was, she said she was in a real estate deal, and and the name of the man was Rosen Real Estate. Well, two of the trust fund kids from the Rosen, his two sons said, "There's no way she's in a deal with my dad." And they're like, "Well, how do you know that? Your dad doesn't even talk to you about business." They go, "They he wouldn't put her in this crappy little room. This is a four hundred dollar a night room. If she was doing a business deal with my dad, she'd be in the ten thousand a night room." So, yeah, again, a higher standard of, of uh, p people. Okay. So she got kicked out of a hotel. She had a $30,000 hotel bill. <laughs> now, at the Motel Slightly 6, as I stand, <laughs> they let her get in the rears that much. So then she moved again, 11 k the bills went. So she started getting kicked out, kicked out. She had spread her lies all over town with all of her friends, Friends had paid for her trips to Europe, her private plane trips to the Midwest, and she always had an excuse. And everyone's radar started to kind of go off. Like, okay, this is one time too many, one time too many. And they got together, and they turned on her. Okay, so once everybody realizes they've loaned her a bit of money for a, a, a ride or a good meal or something... Once everyone sees that and compares notes, then the wheels kind of come off. A couple of years later, and a few million dollars later. So right. 
but the thing of me, can you imagine this level of stress? <laughs> 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 Trying to keep up all these lies? I would rather be in the poor class. Yeah. I, I think that's well the yeah, like the, the, the cortisol pumping through you as the bills come in. That that must be sort of something about your and my personality. I, I'm sorry to get personal for a second, but like we get stressed about money and bills. Anna must have that turned off. Like like she just must not consider it like like she's just like, Well, I'm gonna go through life, I'm gonna rack up as much debt as possible and I I just won't pay. And just juggling. It's constant juggling. Yeah, Joe right. knows I get monkey mad about anything. I'll punch a hole in the wall over my Patriots losing a football game, you know. <laughs> right. So speaking of uh con jobs and, and maintaining that level of, of stress, have you ever seen the movie uh Sorry to Bother You? No. Okay. It's it's a fantastic movie. It's it's about um, doing the white guy voice. <laughs> it's a um, a bunch of guys work at a call center, uh, and they're they're calling people up and upselling them on packages. And I, I don't even remember what they were selling them on. Um, but but the idea is that if you if you pronounce things with um, with with a, a standard that uppity up very stiff. Right, the, the stiff upper class voice, the the hi, how you doing? Like it, 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 it these guys can basically sell anything. Um, that all the black comics do to make fun of us middle aged white men. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's it a, makes us laugh because it's funny and true. It, it is always funny. Um, well, that's that's something. Uh, it's called code switching. I think every uh, anyone who is who is uh, studied Black history, they're probably yelling into their microphone right now. Like they're like, "Why didn't you talk about this at the start of the show?" Um, yeah, code switching uh, uh, basically just means that you are um, uh, switching um, your language. For instance, um, the the original use of the word was like uh, switching from German to English, say meant that your brain had to make the switch like you actually have to like code switch to understand both both sides of the language while you speak with one um in the 1970s the brits uh the british had something called received pronunciation which means they decided on a upper middle class pronunciation for their television and so the the, the very uh, uh responsible respectable uh, British BBC news uh, 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 speaking style. That's not something that was natural. That didn't naturally come out through their networks. Really, that's an act. It's an it's it's kind of an act. They decided on it. They decided that that educated accent, that that cadence, is going to be what they speak in, yeah. and then they made other television performers kind of conform to it. So if you wanted to work at a news desk, you had to speak with that accent. That became the standard. Yeah. Um, so this is something that like, it, it's not just limited to, uh, um, sorry to bother you. It's not just limited to, um, uh, white culture and, and, um, mimicking it to, to get a good job interview or, or to be passable over the phone. Uh, this is, this is all countries and all people sort of have this. Um, I, I tried to, I actually, in studying this, I tried to look for countries where they didn't have uh, differences in pronunciation for class. And every country I could find, everywhere I could look, it just was across the board. Everyone says, you can identify someone of the lower class by the way they speak. And that's country by country, apparently. 
Um, other ways that you can identify affluence and class are posture, eye contact, um, asking good questions, shared values, and emotional intelligence. Um, and those all sound very no-duh, but they all kind of come together to, to beat you up if you're in the lower class and you're trying to get a good job interview for somewhere you don't have a cultural fit. And these people, they're not thinking this or, or judging you. They just already know this. It's in their DNA. Yeah. Well, that's the other part is, is like we talked about, you know, the, the old boy families who own part of the town and they're, they, they feel like they're shepherding by, by owning everything and, and controlling politics. They feel like they're shepherding everybody into the future. It's the same thing with work. When a manager decides you're a bad cultural fit, he's not doing it because he wants to beat up on the lower class that day. He's doing it because he doesn't want to make his other employees feel uncomfortable around somebody who might be talking about NASCAR or like, like <laughs> well, but then he wants to protect his company. He wants to put the right gas, right fuel in his tank, keep himself surrounded with the right people so they they succeed. Right. That Yale article we quoted, it literally says that we judge people of lower class of lower competency as well. So if you're looking for the best fit for the job, you want somebody competent, which means we bias ourselves to think lower classes are incompetent. Um, and just in case you started feeling like, okay, I can I can learn to speak better. You and I have gone to Toastmasters. That's why we both sound like uh, uh, jerks. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's, it's why we sound, uh, we can speak with um, uh, basically a, a formal pronunciation. Um, but even if you master language, I just wanted to make Todd and I feel a little bit worse uh, by quoting an article that talked about faces. So uh, in case you think you can speak like somebody from a higher class, and sometimes you can, and if you educate yourself, uh, it's even easier. Your face can actually tell people what class you're from. Um, stress and sun exposure uh, of course, everyone kind of knows that sun damage can, can make your skin you know, wrinkly before your time and leathery. Uh, but stress itself can uh, change the way your face looks at rest. So um, people of a lower class, uh, I'm actually going to just get into the study real quick so we can, um, so we can get into specifics. Um, they did a study. Um, this is from the University of Toronto where they took pictures of people making a neutral face. So they, they said, make your face rest and, and don't make a face at us. Don't, don't show any emotion. And um, they separated people into uh, categories of income, whether their family made under $60,000 or whether they made above 100000 And under 60, they categorized them as um, low income or low class. Above 100000 they categorized them as earners, rich or poor. And they took these rich and poor uh, study groups and they found out that just by quickly looking at the faces, people were able to judge with better than 50% accuracy, I think it was like 53%, um, which ones were rich and which ones are poor. Wow. So those lines on your face tell a story. It's the lines and it's also um, the muscles you use to, to uh, when you're stressed, you frown. Awareness. Yeah. A lifelong awareness of working dead-end jobs and right. not getting good enough sleep eating not as nutritious foods yes <laughs> not sleeping in the pillow top mattresses and in quiet big houses but in tiny apartments where it's noisy right 
And I'm guessing, the, the study didn't say this, but the bigger the stresses and the more extreme the income gap, probably the easier this is. I think we probably get above 53% the more somebody has taken it out of themselves throughout their life. I have um, a, a resting jerk face. Um, I Joe, look, I look Joe, mad. Joe, it does look mad all the time. <laughs> when I'm deep in thought, I, I look very angry, and it's because um, the, the, my head—I have a frowning eyebrow, and I'm it's, always it's smiling. Stresses. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very jovial. I don't know why. He has more to be happy about than I do, but I'm always happy. He's always pissed off. Todd's Todd's smiling through the pain. Don't <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> We've talked before that, that Todd's an optimist, so I, I envy that. Um, so yeah, if you master language, you still will have to be slightly aware, at least, that um, there are other tells of class, and a lot of them are in your face, your dress, and your mannerisms. I'm not an optimist. I'm just too simple to quit. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be worth more, honestly. <laughs> We're talking code switching and, and, you know, how do you fake uh, being this? I'm starting to suspect that Anna's, uh, her, her, her Russian, German, American, everywhere accent threw people off. Um, and that maybe that might have led to how she was able to pull some of this off. So when it all came crashing down, how, how did Anna land? Did she... Did you pull a getaway? Yeah, that's a good point. Her accent was a little muddled. Yeah. So it did come off as she was something European and foreign. Everything helped, right? Well, she was flirting, Joe, with that $20 million loan before she got arrested. She got really close. She took a stint. This is interesting. Um, she took a stint. She went to rehab, right? Okay. Now, she didn't just go to any rehab. She went to the most expensive rehab <laughs> on the West Coast. Of course she did. <laughs> <laughs> so I did some more research on this rehab because I'd always heard of the Betty Ford Clinic. And I had heard some of what their fees were there. Do you know what the Betty Ford charges a month to go? I have no idea. About 40 to 50K. A okay. month? A month. Yeah. Wow. So, But Anna went to an even more expensive one. She went, it's called uh, Passages Malibu. And they have TV commercials on all the time. They're giving people acupuncture, and they're on the beach in Malibu. It's $80,000 a month. Dang. Yeah. So she got out of that. She does everything first class. I don't know who paid for it because she doesn't have 80 k Right. She, she gets out. She gets arrested. Um, what really happened was all of her publicity people, um, the New York Post did a big article on her, and then all the media outlets went after her. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they peeled that onion real fast. You know, you <laughs> research guys are good at that. Right. And they found out that, um, and the biggest thing, in the, I guess, what everyone was saying was, why her? She isn't this super attractive. She isn't that smart. She isn't very charming. That's the scary thing about it. She wasn't a genius either. Yeah. That someone this simple could fool this many intelligent, wealthy people. Yeah, you said she was like insulting people and stuff, so that there's there's gotta be something about her that makes her able to do this. So off to jail she went. So is she now the queen of jail? She has absolutely gotta fit in in jail right away. This woman can fit <laughs> in anywhere. She says it's not so bad, she has lots of friends. And, you know, she's still promoting her stuff from jail, so. Yeah, I'd like to say pe people don't change, you know. Wow. 
I, I almost, um, to say that's a fitting end for her story, I mean, I, I almost kind of want her to just, like, have her own throne in prison, but... Okay, so you you have the uh, the number for us. How long did she get sentenced to? Yeah, in all our crack research, we missed one important fact. <laughs> okay, <laughs> four to twelve years. Four to twelve years. Well, yeah, that's a big range. So she'll be out in three and a half, right? Ah, four to twelve years. It's. I didn't see the irony in this, but how long did affluenza kid go in for killing four people? It was ten years. Something. No, no, no. The probation, probation was ten years. So yeah, ten but years. He got out well, that, he didn't serve that, though. He got out in 2018. So he was only in jail for a couple of years. Yeah. So she fooled a bunch of uh, um, rich people and racked up a bunch of hotel bills and tried to buy a $25 million art studio. And she got four to 12 years. Affluenza killed, f- killed four people and, and paralyzed somebody, and, and he had a couple of years. Yeah, it's not justice. Not fair. Yeah. We don't live in a fair world. And it probably were poor people he killed. If he would have killed any elites, he'd still be in prison. So what is class? In a word, opportunity. Class is opportunity. In fact, there's already a term for how upper classes secure education and jobs for their children. It's called opportunity hoarding. And unlike Aunt Becky, it's usually completely legal and completely under the radar. If you want to grab some of that opportunity for yourself, you're going to have to tangle with the upper class at some point. Your children's education, your pay scale, even where you live will depend on your ability to recognize and use class to your advantage. And that can be tricky since we don't teach or even speak about America's class system in polite company which serves the upper class just fine because recognizing class might just kick off our own French revolution someday. But for now, until we start seeing guillotines rolling down the street, we'll have to focus on controlling our own class tales. Posture, eye contact, emotional stability, but most of all language. Remember the biggest indicator of your class and thus your higher ability and competency is your command of language. Enroll in a class, take a public speaking course, grab a book on diction, or if you're too busy for speech coaching, you could always start handing out Chris $100 bills and tell people you're a foreign Harris. Hey, it worked for Hannah. You've been listening to The Reengineered You. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week. You can connect with us at www.re-engineeredyou.com where we have research links, show notes, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We also appreciate uh, feedback. We love spirited debates. And we'd like to hear about your con jobs, too. <laughs> Stay in your class, America. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything.